remember one of the last times that I really did myself in with vomiting. I couldn't vomit, and I was trying to put anything down my throat to do it. Anything, any object I could to put down my throat, and it wouldn't happen. Tried all the tricks, it wouldn't happen. So I go out to my hallway, and I'm exhausted. And I was like, God, Jesus, Mary, like I was desperate. And I was like, if you take this from me, I will walk away from everything. I will never go back to bodybuilding. I will never go back to cheerleading. I will never, I will never look back. And I didn't know that he heard me. So it starts when I was six years old, about six or seven years old. And I was being babysat by um, a family friend. And um, he lured me into a room and I was molested. And I never told anyone about it. I look back on it and I think why I didn't tell anyone and it's more so just, I didn't even have the words to explain what I felt and what happened. I just knew that I hated him. And I knew that I was upset at my dad my whole life. And I never told him what happened. Um, and why were you upset with your dad specifically? I think I had this expectation that he was supposed to protect me. And he was a military dad. So all I saw from him was like yelling. And I'm Filipino, so we're just very dramatic about everything. But he was always yelling and loud in the house. And so the only really response I ever got from him in life was order and discipline. And I guess I was just mad at him because I never told him and I, I wanted love is probably why I was mad at him. And I look back and I probably wanted him to protect me and that was his best friend. So as I got older, um, I have an older sister and an older brother and my family is just a really successful family in their environment that they're in, in their community. They're very vibrant. They're very, they host everybody all the time. They're just incredible people. But I remember from a young age feeling really isolated and not really wanting to be around everybody the way my family wanted to be around everybody. In high school, I started noticing, I didn't start noticing, my family started noticing really odd behaviors kind of started with eating and I just stopped eating. I learned about anorexia and I thought it was a good idea. I look back now and I think that I was honestly just trying to get some sense of control in life and also maybe just trying to cry out for attention at the same time. Um, so I started doing that and then I started getting really quote unquote depressed. And I would just have days where I was in the worst mood. And in my family, that's not common. Like our culture isn't to be moody and not talkative. We're very social, loving people. And I would just withdraw a lot. And I remember days I started cheerleading and getting into like a very socially popular crowd. I remember days where I would just withdraw, maybe as a middle schooler, and just cry. And we started cheerleading competitions, so our whole family would go. It would be a very communal event, and I would run to my mom's lap, and I would cry. And she was like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. I feel like somebody died. 
and I would always just feel like, feel that way. Like I just felt like someone died. Like imagine, right? Like that's crazy. Nothing's even happening and you're feeling like that in the middle of a cheerleading competition. So she didn't really know what to do with that. I don't, it's really odd to think about it, but I really just started to hate myself to the point where I would say really derogatory things to myself as a younger kid. I would write curse words in my closet. I would do just really weird things. And in high school, after losing my virginity, I got extremely promiscuous, extremely rebellious, and the eating disorder all on top of it. I got to this point, I remember this boyfriend broke up with me, and I was so distraught, and I thought it was a good idea to cut myself. So I did. And ever since that moment, I was like, this is amazing. This is amazing because I felt something. Like I felt I was able to connect with how I felt for the first time. But every time I would get angry, I would resort to self-harm. And it didn't even have to be a huge issue of anger. It could be my mom disciplining me for a proper reason. And I would run upstairs and I would cut and I would dig my fingers into my arm and I would get upset if I didn't bleed. I would just get so angry, I would claw myself into my thighs. And there was one significant moment that I remember my mom got upset with me and she was a very like prim and proper kind of person. And so, and I think just in my brokenness, when she would come at me, it was like an even deeper dig than she even knew. And so she was just disciplining me on something. And I remember grabbing the largest knives I could find. And this was in high school at this time. And I ran upstairs to the bathroom. And I remember just hearing the knives, like the ching, ching. And I felt nothing. And I put my head down for a little bit. And I lifted my head. And all I saw was a countertop, like puddled of blood. And I was like, what did I just do? And I looked at my arm and it wasn't like the usual where it was like little cuts, it was like flesh. And I felt nothing. So I wrapped that up, I kept that a secret. Uh, my mom started putting me into therapy. I had a psychologist, I had a psychiatrist, I had a therapist. And while the sessions, I guess, were helpful to some degree, like, None of it changed the behavior. None of it changed what I was feeling. I just had the worst doctors that you could think of that would say things like, you're afraid to get your blood drawn, but you're not afraid to cut yourself. I felt so messed up. Like, I felt jacked up. Like, if I could just use those words. Um, coming from a super well-to-do, amazing family, it was like, what is wrong with me? Why am I like this? Like, you know, my sister's super successful. My brother's a UCLA graduate. What is wrong with me? We just kept trying to do that. I was being medicated all the way throughout high school. And then towards the end of high school, I said something really weird to my mom. And I said, I don't want to take medication anymore. I'm just going to go to church. And we went to church every Sunday. And I always had this severe connection to the reverence of God when I would go into the Catholic church. Like, I liked the bowing. Like, people make fun of it. I liked it. Like, I liked getting on the ground and, and the bowing. I don't know what it was. I loved worship. I loved singing. But there was really no one telling me anything about a deeper connection with God. So I kind of left it at that. I got off the medication that I was on, and I went to college. And I realized that I couldn't function by myself. I couldn't wake up in the morning. 
I had 9 a.m. classes. I couldn't, for the life of me, create a schedule. I look back now and it's like a blur. I had zero like self-control in my mind. Um, and all I knew how to do was party and sleep around. So that's what I did. My brother was at UCLA and I was at LA State. And I was just trying to follow in these footsteps, but I couldn't even put one foot in front of the other. And I was failing my classes and I ended up getting in a fight and they sent me home. So I came home for the summer just to come back for a break. I decided I couldn't go back, that I wasn't stable enough to do it. So then I started getting really into cheerleading. We owned a really huge, very successful cheerleading gym. And this is kind of where life got better. I got into cheerleading and I was extremely successful. It started to peak like around when I was 23, 24-ish. And because I was already in such excellent physical shape, I thought it would be a great idea to start bodybuilding. So I got into bikini bodybuilding and I soared in that. I excelled in that and I kind of became a fitness icon in my community. Um, it was when Instagram kind of came out and I was kind of journaling and just sharing my journey. I was losing a lot of weight, getting in incredible shape, um, getting ready to compete. And I felt like finally I had the attention that I was looking for my whole life. And finally, I was hitting this period of success. Like finally, something's clicking for me. I was excelling. I was at Sac State as a cheerleader and our home gym as a cheerleader, coaching teams, traveling nationwide, judging for one of the largest cheerleading companies. Life was like amazing. And I go to this competition and I get like third out of five. And that's incredible. But something in me just clicked. And it was like, that's not enough. This isn't good, you're terrible. And all of those thoughts just started pouring back in about how terrible I was. So at this point, I was um, 135 pounds when I first started and I hit the stage at about maybe 100 pounds. And that's a lot for someone who's 5'1 um, and was already in good shape. So I remember when I went to celebrate with everybody after this competition, I ate and something told me like, go to the bathroom now and vomit that all out. So I did, and I had some issues with that growing up, but it was like a monster at this stage. And so I realized if I could vomit, then I could compete, I could keep dieting, I could keep training, and then eat when I wanna eat, and then vomit, like this is perfect, it works out, this is great. And so I kept doing that, and there would be days where I would have like an almond and a couple, a couple almonds and an apple, and I would go to classes, and then I would go to Sac State practice, and then I would go to the gym, and then the next day, I would go to Krispy Kremes, Carl's Jr., Safeway, and get a bunch of food, and I would fill myself to the point where like, you could feel like pressure in your neck. Like I couldn't even breathe with how much food I would get in to intentionally then vomit it all out. At this point, I noticed some really odd things starting to happen. Like when I was driving to and from practices, I would fall asleep in my car. And I just thought I was tired, but it was like right away, I would just start falling asleep and like drifting. At one point I was driving and I don't even remember how I felt. All I remember is waking up and everything that was on the bottom of my car going to the top of my car. And I was like, I, I had no idea what was happening and my truck was flipping off the freeway. And um, I then remember hitting the ground and skidding, and then it rolled back onto its wheels. 
I was just like, what just happened? And I took my seatbelt off and I ran to the side of the road. I think it was just adrenaline in my body. I ran to the side of the road and someone pulled over and he was like, are you okay? Who, who's in there? Who's in there? And I was like, no one, no one's in there. It's just me. And he's like, no, he was like convinced that someone was in there to the point where I thought someone was in the car with me. And he was like, are you drunk? Are you on drugs? I'm like, no. And so he ran to my truck to look if anyone was in there. No one was in there. I go to the hospital. Everything's fine. Everything's good. I returned to one of my cheerleading practices that week. And my teammates, my teammates said, we saw an accident on the side of the road, but we didn't think it was you because there was someone, there were two people in the car. And I was like, it kind of hit me. And I was like, that's not the, like, that's exactly what the guy said. So I look back now and, and I'm like, God, that was you. But anyways, that was in the whole phase of just like what I was going through in life. Everything was just such a blur, but that was one thing I had to mention. Um, so yeah, I was continuous, continuing cheerleading, doing great in that, had this eating disorder, but it was like I had it on lock. Like I could do this, I could keep doing this. And then eventually we were at the peak of our cheerleading journey and we were going to Worlds, which is the cheerleading Olympics. And at the same time, I was getting ready for my second bikini bodybuilding competition. So you can imagine thousands of people following your journey. You're sharing, you're at the top of this the pinnacle of your life. And I remember going home from practices and just days and feeling so like empty and dead after all the posting, after all the sharing, after all the incredible high, I was like dead. And so I started drinking myself to sleep. And I started taking like things to go to sleep just to like numb myself out from that emptiness that I was feeling. And then suddenly something happened. I started to lose my gag reflex. And I panicked because my whole career, everything that I was doing great at relied on me being able to do what I was doing. And it got really hard for me to vomit to the point where I was vomiting at least four hours a day. My, my eyes would be bloodshot, my jaw would be sore, my knuckles would be bloody, yet like somehow no one knew what I was doing. And I would go and I would coach kids, I was still traveling, doing all of this. And I remember at one point, I wanted to tell my mom that I wanted to recover from bulimia. I was like, I'm ready, I can't do this, like I think I'm gonna kill myself if I keep doing this. And I remembered wanting to eat carrots, but I a coach of mine had told me I couldn't have colored vegetables. So I started shaking every time I wanted to eat something outside of my meal plan. And I couldn't do it, but we were having hour long practices, getting ready for worlds. I go to my mom and I'm like, mom, I cannot go to practice today. She's like, why? I was like, I wanna eat carrots and I can't. And that's when I was realizing something was like severely wrong. And she was like, no, 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 you're fine. You're okay, dust it off, you're gonna be all right. So I was like, okay, so I go to the practice and I just keep remembering like, I was like, I can't do this. If I keep doing this, I'm gonna die. Like I knew, I just knew in the back of my mind I'm gonna die because I would be at cheerleading competitions in the middle of a routine forgetting where I was and like being thrown around in the air doing backflips and I was like, no sense of what was happening. So when I went to this practice, I went to my coach and I'm like, I love you, I love the team, but I can't do this. And I was the center top girl. Everything in the routine, the pyramids, all revolved around this one girl that fought for her position all this time. And I'm like, I'm done. I can't, I walk away, I'm done. And when I walked away, everybody was like, of course, really angry at me, really mad at me, didn't understand. But I felt betrayed because I was like, 
I'm dying and no one cares. Like everybody wants me to continue to be this fitness model and I'm literally killing myself to do it. So I remember going home and I'd be in my room and I saw this light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't know what it was. I would just see a light at the end of the tunnel and I felt like something in me saying like, recover, take your time to heal, walk away from your, go, take, get in hiding and heal. So I would grab food, I would go in my room, I would eat it, I would sit in my bed and I would rock back and forth like a crazy person and like shake because I couldn't handle this feeling of wanting to go vomit. I would put a blanket over my head, I would pop some Benadryl and I'd go to bed. And I would do that almost every day, um, do what I had to do and then do that. And I started gaining weight massively. Like I went from 100 pounds to 150 pounds. I wasn't competing anymore, but I had to show up in the gym to coach kids and stuff. And it was probably the most humiliating and the most embarrassing part of my life because everybody that I thought that was following me to cheer me on, I could kind of hear it in the whispers of the background, like how disgusting. Like she fell off the wagon is the frame that people would use. And little did they know I was fighting for my life. I remember being having no friends at this point because I walked away from everything. And I went onto YouTube at night and I found this video by Isaiah Saldivar. And I had no idea what this guy was saying. I just couldn't stop watching. And he would like speak so fast that it would be like, <gasps> and he would talk and he'd go. <gasps> like, I think I was hearing, I was just like, what is happening? Like, what is, what in the world is this guy talking about? And he said something and he said, the Bible is a lie. And I remembered this Bible that someone gave me for Christmas that was sitting on my shelf. And I was like, what do you mean the Bible's a lie? And mind you, I was ready for like, if there was a life outside of the one that I built, I wanted it. I was at the pinnacle. I was at the top of the top that anyone could have ever wanted. The fame, the success, the popularity, the, the looks. I was at the pinnacle of that and I felt like hell. So I was like, if I, if there is something out there that exists that's not this, and it's great because this guy's having the time of his life talking about it, I want that. So I started reading the Bible and I opened up the book of Exodus. And I didn't really know at the time it was my Exodus, but I was reading about the Israelites and I was like, why would they go back? Like I was so into it. I was like, oh my gosh, the Bible's alive. Like I was just on this high. And so I threw away my makeup I was throwing away like everything. And I was like, I'm going to give everything away for like this life. Like this Christian life looked so appealing to me because it had nothing to do with what I was doing. I got a couple of invitations to come to this church where this guy was at. Um, little did I know he was down the street from where I lived. I go to the church and mind you, like I was raised Catholic, right? So I walk in and I'm like, I know this Jesus thing. Like I know Jesus, you know, and I walk in and I, I truly was sincerely grateful to be in a place that I thought I wasn't gonna be judged. I thought that Christians like didn't wear makeup. I thought that they wore dresses and bonnets and were just very strange, peculiar people. And I was so excited because I was severely overweight. I was at the low of my lows and I was an embarrassment to the fitness society in my eyes and to the whole society, to the cheerleading society. Like everything they built me up to be, I was not. And so I walked into this place and I'm like, great, like it's going to be great. They can't judge me. Like, this is awesome. Like, they're not going to be beautiful. They're just going to be normal people. And I walk in and it is not what I expect. It's a bunch of young people 
on fire, shouting, yelling. And I'm like, what are they yelling about? Where is Jesus on the cross? Like, I was so confused, but I was trying to play it cool. Like, I know what I'm doing here. Like, this is church. I know what to do. So I'm sitting in the chair and I wanted someone so badly to just point at me and be like, you, you are hurting inside. You are dying. You are throwing up your food. And you were like, I just wanted someone to expose me, but no one did. And I remember the preacher at the altar and he just kept saying for 20 minutes, come to the altar, come to the altar. Tonight's your night, come to the altar. And in the Catholic church, we never went to the altar to respond to anything. So I wasn't quite sure what it was, but he just kept telling us to do it. So I was like, I either walk out of here or I go to that altar. So I went to the altar and I just start crying. Like, I don't even know what I'm crying about, but I just start crying, probably just because I'm so shattered at this moment, and I finally get to cry in a public place because everybody else is crying. So I'm crying, and this beautiful girl that smells so good with, like, this long, luscious hair comes up to me, and she's like, can I pray for you? And I'm like, no, this isn't what it's supposed to be like. <laughs> like, she's not supposed to be beautiful. <laughs> and she just, like, lays her hands on me, and she's like, I feel like you have a story for women. I feel like you're gonna talk to thousands of women one day and share your story. And mind you, at this time, I was still vomiting. I was still struggling. I even got a tattoo on my wrist that says fighter with the eating disorder symbol because I was so, I was so set on recovery. I was like, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, but I couldn't do it. As much as I wanted to stop, I couldn't stop. I would do the whole thing I told you, I would eat, I would shake, I would take the pill, but then I would still eventually like sometimes be out in a restaurant, eat, and I couldn't function. So I would run to a public restaurant and mind you, their bathrooms are not very clean. And I was like, I don't care. I got to do what I got to do. And I would do it. So for her to be telling me this, I'm like, either somebody in here knows who I am and they're like that poor fat girl that lost it all. Go pray for her. Or God was really talking to her. I chose to believe it was God. <laughs> and I kept coming back, and I kept coming back, and I kept coming back, and my life was a mess. But I was still really good at like masking things. Kept coming back to that altar. I don't even know what was happening to me. No one was even having to say anything to me, but things were happening to me. I remember one of the last times that I really did myself in with vomiting. I couldn't vomit, and I was trying to put anything down my throat to do it anything, any object I could to put down my throat, and it wouldn't happen. Tried all the tricks, it wouldn't happen. So I go out to my hallway, and I'm exhausted. And I was like, God, Jesus, Mary, like I was desperate. And I was like, if you take this from me, I will walk away from everything. Like, I will never go back to bodybuilding. I will never go back to cheerleading. I will never, I will never look back. And I didn't know that he heard me. I just remember being desperate. And after that and going to this church and just walking it out, I started realizing people would testify at the altar and I started realizing hearing voices in your head isn't normal. I started realizing like, Hating yourself isn't normal. Like, and all these things started flashing back in my mind of my childhood. And I'm like, cutting yourself isn't normal. Punching yourself in the face isn't normal. Like, looking in the mirror, hearing 
you're effing disgusting, isn't normal. Like as I was in the church and they were testifying, I started realizing things in my life weren't normal because that was my normal for so long. So I was like, hold on a minute. Like there's something to this thing. Like this isn't just like I'm going to get Jesus and be a better person and not wear makeup and like escape from the life that I had. But like God's going to take this stuff. He's going to take all of this crap that I thought was normal, like all of this in my mind, all of this dysfunction. It's not something that I'm gonna have to just be like Jesus and this, like it's gonna, it's gonna go. Like this isn't, this isn't, like the way they would talk about it. I'm like, there's freedom for me. So I kept walking it out. They asked me to lead worship. And I was like, me? Like, y'all know what you're asking for? <laughs> like, I don't think you really know like what, I, what I've been into, what I've done, who, who I've done, where I've done it. I was floored that they would even ask me. And I remember talking to my pastor, his name was Nino, we call him Nino. And I, I remember talking to him just kind of about the insecurities about it and he said something to me. He said, Miha, I didn't put you up there, the Lord did. And I was like, okay, like the Lord knows everything that I'm struggling with and everything that I'm going through and he would put me up there. And I think that's where the fear of God came over me. And I think that that's where the true relationship with Jesus started because I realized that I couldn't build another kingdom inside the church. Like my whole life, I was trying to build a life and build a kingdom and get it right. But then when I came into this place, it was like, I didn't have to do that anymore. Like it was all about Jesus and I was so relieved. <laughs> I was like, thank you that it's not about me. I was unlearning a lot of things from Catholicism. I was unlearning that, that Jesus was far. I was unlearning that, yes, he's holy and he's sacred and there's reverence, but he's near and he's tangible and he's good. And so I started building this relationship with him, really just modeling a lot of the things that I saw in the church. Like when I would see people talk about him, I was like, that's him, like I wanna know him, that's the one. And as I kept doing this, I started realizing, like, I remember greeting, greeting in the church. They asked me to greet as well. And I remember the first time I greeted, when people would walk in, I would hear voices. I would hear, like, they hate you. You don't belong here. Like, overwhelming. Like, I was in the church. I was walking this out. I was reading my Bible. I was doing all the things. And I would feel this overwhelming sense of, like, you don't belong here. I remember asking the Lord, I was like, Jesus, is it always going to be this way? Like, am I going to be in, the, in, in this place? Am I going to always hear voices? Then I remember one time, I, this is, I promise it's going to connect. I went shopping one time for the first time in like a year and a half maybe. And I put on a, a shirt and I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, I like this color. And I started bawling because for the first time I didn't hear, you're effing disgusting. When I looked in the mirror, it was a trip. I was like waiting for it. I was like, and I didn't hear anything. I was like, oh, I like these jeans. Oh, I like this. And it was like a five-year-old saying those things out loud, like, this is a pretty color. And I know that sounds so trivial. That sounds so trivial. But it was huge for me getting to go to church. And I started believing these people love me. And I stopped hearing the voices of like, you're disgusting, you're this, you're that, to the point where I would like wait to hear it and they were gone, like completely gone. And I was kind of waiting for my personality to do that weird thing where seasonally it would shift. 
and all of a sudden I'd get depressed. Like that was just kind of the cycle. So as I was walking out my faith, I was like waiting for those things to return and they never did. And I was like, huh, okay. You know, but I was walking out biblical things and I was, you know, that kind of stuff. But I do want to share this. I started sharing the gospel and I started talking about Jesus to people and my hands would get ice cold and my jaw would start to jitter. And I was like, yo, like, does, does this happen to other people? And I remember at the time, my pastor was Isaiah Saldivar, the guy I found on the video. And he was, I remember him saying like, my hands get warm when I pray. And I was like, my hands do not get warm when I pray. Like my hands are freezing ice cold. And I just thought it was really weird. And I remembered in a, in a family gathering, our church was kind of small, knit, tight knit, um, core people. We're all gathering and this guy was talking about a deliverance that he did, right? We're, we're Christians, we're talking about Christian things. And he was like, get out in the name of Jesus. And I remember getting extremely uncomfortable. Like I've seen demons manifest, all that kind of stuff. But when he was saying it, I was getting really uncomfortable. And I was like, whoa. And I heard a voice, like I used to hear a voice. And it said, move your body like this. Sit up like this. And it started telling me how to move and sit. And it reminded me of when, like, when I got really drunk in the club, and I'd look in the mirror and I'd have to like smack my face and be like, okay, girl, you got this, you got, like that same like drunken feeling was what I was feeling when he was saying that. And I was like, okay, like that's just really weird. And then sometimes I would lead worship and it would be amazing. And I would feel like just so victorious. And then sometimes I would lead worship and I would feel so far from God, so far, like something was seriously up and I had to like worship through it. And I was like, I hope no one else notices that I'm doing this. Like, I hope, people can't hear what I'm feeling. And a girl came up to me and she was like, and she was really close to me and she was like, sometimes you're like really on and then sometimes it feels like you're off. So I was like, okay, something's wrong. Like people are feeling this. So I go to this, I, this is the part I kind of want to share and this is like the kind of close up of like my testimony because I'm on fire for God. I'm walking this out. Now all of a sudden some weird things are happening to me. I go to this girl that I'm really close to and I meant to ask her like, why do I feel this way? Like, is this normal for your jaw to jitter and your hands to get cold? Like, does that happen to you? So I wanted to ask her and she was like, can I pray for you? Like, is it okay if I pray for you? And I was like, yeah, sure. And we were sisters, we're tight. So she takes me upstairs to like, I was at her house. She's upstairs to pray. She lays her hands on my head, like super gently. And she's like, just start speaking in tongues. And I close my eyes and I see a wolf in the right side of my, my vision. And I'm like, I see a wolf. And she's like, okay, okay. And she keeps praying. And then she's like, are you sure you're Filipino? And I'm like, what? Yes, yes. She's like, you're full Filipino. I'm like, yes, this is so weird. And she's like, okay, because I see a Chinese dragon. And I was like, oh, my dad's Chinese. Like, that's weird. And she's like, okay. And she starts praying. And mind you, remember, I lost my gag reflex. She just starts praying. And I don't even remember what she was praying. And I start to feel something go from my belly to my throat. And I start like coughing, like I'm gagging to throw up. And at this point, Eric, I'm blown away because I'm like, I don't have a gag reflex. I can't throw up. And I start vomiting. And it ends up being a three hour long deliverance. And she's calling up things from my childhood. She's calling up things that I don't even remember because of the trauma, like my memories were just slaughtered. And I, she calls up things about the molestation. And mind you, I know I opened talking about that, but I hadn't talked about it ever since it happened. 
maybe once to a friend. And this would be the second time. And so how would she know that? And so she starts calling up all this stuff and starts coming out and I'm vomiting and I'm crying because I'm vomiting because I'm like, this is a miracle. And it was so beautiful. She knows my testimony and she was crying. Um, her daughter that was in the room, she was crying because I was getting so much freedom and so much brokenness from childhood. The stuff I never talked about was coming up and like these things were just leaving me. And I remember towards the end of it, she was calling something up and I was manifesting. I was like feeling like jittery and like, you know, when you feel like you're freezing and your body's just shivering, like that's what my body kept doing, like shivering and moving all over the place. And she gently takes this like Bible that's about this thick, super tiny. And she places it really gently, like very gently on my back. And all of a sudden I remember hearing it, but I didn't feel it like the pain. And I'm hearing going, ow, ow, ow. And I'm melting to the carpet. I'm melting to the floor. And I remember what she put on me felt like a thousand pounds. Like I couldn't even have the capacity to like push my body against it. Like nothing, it put me flat to the ground. The rest of the deliverance happened on the ground. Things left, it was amazing. But I really wanted to share that part because it was, a pivotal moment for me because I remember after that deliverance, I was like, God, I might not understand everything in your word, but I cannot deny the power that that thing had. Everything that you say to me now, it's done. It's it. It's truth and that's it. Because I got completely set free, got set free from those things. But just remembering Eric, like that moment, it felt like, and I say it feels like, it felt like gold. Like, you know, those like chunks of gold that look like that. They're like those chunks of gold. It felt like that was touching me. And like, I literally lost all power, like my flesh, everything I couldn't. And so now like, you know, when I see things in the Bible, I'm telling you, I'm like, I don't know, but it's true. Like, <laughs> I don't know, but Jesus is Lord, you know? And so I, when I go through those experiences and I go through times of trials and I go through times of where I can't really quite wrap my head around it, like, God, how is this possible? And I have all these questions. I'm brought back to that moment where I was slithering on the ground and in the name of Jesus, those things were coming up and out. It's like, I cannot deny the power of God. I cannot deny the one who delivered me. Like, you wanna ask me how my life is now? Like, I would have never, I'm living a dream. Like I would have never imagined the life I'm living now could have been for me if you were to tell me that. Like when I was in the thick of everything, like you'd be leading worship, you'd be sharing your testimony, you'd be setting people free, you'd be in deliverances, casting out demons. Like what? What? Like you mean to tell me this thing that was after me, whatever caused that accident when I flipped my truck, whatever caused me to cut myself and didn't feel anything, whatever had me punching myself square in the face. Like you mean to tell me that I have power in Jesus over all of that? and no one has to live that way, oh, I'm giving my life to this thing. And so here I am. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of my testimony. I, I want to I take a, a time here, and, and I, I want to really make it plain for people who are watching, who maybe are having even a hard time just understanding everything that you're saying. At some point, you said the voices were gone. 
right? And 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 through your testimony, we're seeing that there is levels of, of freedom and deliverance that was happening, yeah. right? Now, yeah. for those people who are watching right now, who are 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 suffering, let's say even just hearing those voices in their head, those condemning voices, and yeah. they're like, well. I'm I'm going to churches. I'm still hearing them. I don't. How can I get rid of these voices? What What can I do? What can you tell those men, those women, yeah. kid, older people, whoever they are? What can you yeah. tell them? Read the Bible out loud, violently. Uh, the person that was discipling me, she would hold my head like intimacy and put her head to mine. And I'm not saying have someone do this to you, I'm just saying like, this was powerful. And she would speak the scriptures over me, over my mind. Like she would see it on my countenance when I would come in to like, it wasn't a small group, but we would gather for prayer like once a week. And she would just see that countenance change. Like maybe I was hearing those things, you know? And she would speak the scripture over me. I would say, speak the scripture over yourself. I would say, look in the mirror in your eyes and speak the word, because the word of God has undeniable power, undeniable power. I didn't need to understand. I didn't need to wrap my head around it theologically. I needed the power. And so I would, yeah, speak the word of God over yourself and get into a church community where the language is Jesus. Because you start to discern, you know, what is God? And what isn't God? When you start getting yourself around the language of the Lord, people that are praying, people that are speaking, that are lifting you up. Because I was in this realm of negativity and it was almost like a breeding ground for the devil to say things and me believe them. But then when I got around a spirit-filled community where it was encouragement and it was life and it was the word of God, the word of God was being preached and I was reading it in my own time. When I would hear that sneak, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, nope, that ain't that ain't the Lord and that ain't me. Like, and I think that a huge part of it that I sincerely believe is going to be powerful is learning to say, that's not my voice. That when you hear those voices, you hate yourself. You're effing disgusting. I mean, the things are derogatory. You don't think those things about yourself. When you're five years old, imagine what your five-year-old would say to yourself, right? You want the best for yourself when you're little. You want to have the best friends. When you walk into school, if you didn't have like a broken childhood, you were like excited. You were like, oh, I can't wait. Like, this is going to be fun. That's normal mind as you get older. So if you're having that, like, uh, you don't belong here, isolation, all of that, it's really powerful to say, those are not my thoughts. That is not, nope, that's not the Lord's thoughts. And so that's where I would, I would start. And I'm obviously now, Eric, I still can get that thought sideswiped right? Like a side swipe. And I'm like, I bind that in the name of Jesus. And I tell you to leave. I tell you to go. And it goes. Yeah. But I mean, I would also definitely, if people are struggling with that and they think it's them, the number one thing that is really powerful, Eric, is coming out of agreement with the fact that you think it's your thoughts. That's just powerful. God's going to move through that when you start saying it and you're going to feel it and you're going to start knowing like, these aren't my thoughts. Marcella, who is Jesus to you? Wow everything, everything. He's my breath giver. He's my rest. He's my peace. He's my joy. He's my freedom. Everything, everything good. He is. 
everything, it's Jesus. I see him in everything. And if I were to say on a simple terms, like he's my best friend, he's my dad. He protects me. And I do wanna share this. Um, when I went into the healing portion for the molestation, there was a portion of talking it out with somebody where I closed my eyes and imagined my childhood. And I started getting glimpses of things that I'd never remembered. Like I remembered the dirt in our backyard. I remembered these little pieces of grass that came out of the ground. Like I was seeing details. I remembered this red swing that I would swing on by myself. And I was like, what is that? And I realized like the Holy Spirit was like, those were my memories. I was there. And I realized in the molestation, God was not okay with it. He was not okay with what happened to me. And that was healing for me. Marcella, do you have any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now, wherever they are? I don't wanna ever make people think that I'm like categorizing them, but if you're resonating with what I've walked through and what has happened in my life and you're sitting in the pews on Sunday and that's all you're getting is just like a word and you're feeling no breakthrough in your life and you're just walking in darkness and hidden stuff, I wanna tell them that there's more. I wanna tell them that there is power, like overwhelming power in Jesus. And there's, if, if all you're getting is like a life of bondage and Jesus, I want you to know there's more. I want you to know that there's freedom. I want you to know that Jesus is alive and that he has the power to set us free, to literally like deliver us from all of these things. Like I want you to know that there is hope and I want you to know that no, that's not normal. Like the world might try to tell you suicide's normal. The world might try to tell you that is not normal. And there's freedom in Christ and there's power in Jesus. Like I'm just, I'm, I know I'm like, kind of get pumped up about it. Cause I'm like, I look at people and I'm like, do you not know? Like we have a savior who wants to deliver us and fill us with power so that we can go and preach the gospel with power and see people not only believe in Jesus, but be set free and walk a victorious, spirit-filled, powerful life. That is just it. If you resonate with this at all, God has that for you. He's no respecter of persons. If he did it in my life, he's gonna do it in yours.